0: 12 and 13 year old when the books were coming out. um, It was the first books that I ever voraciously read. And I will still to this day say that I know that the Goblet of Fire is like a thousand pages long. If you gave it to me now, uncontrollably I would have it done by tomorrow night. But there, when I got to thinking about this scripture today, uh, almost immediately there was a scene from one of the movies that that came to mind. And if you're not familiar with sort of the Harry Potter books, and if you're not, what's wrong with you? <laughs> but Harry, Harry and Ron are always, almost always rushing out to do something, to save the day, but it's almost always something they're not supposed to do. And they keep getting points deducted from their house, the house of Gryffindor. And so the scene we're going to watch, Harry and Ron and their friend Hermione are trying to go out at night when they're not supposed to, which is a theme. And they are, you will see up on the screen, confronted from their, by their friend Neville. So did you catch that? They're sneaking out, and Neville says, no, you're not going to do it again. And it goes really well for him. (laughs) Just so you know, and I don't want to ruin the book for you, but Harry, Hermione, and Ron do save the day. (laughs) But at the end of the movie, there is this large speech that Dumbledore, the headmaster wizard, gives, in which he says that they're there to celebrate the house that has made the most points that year. Just Slytherin. Oh, Slytherin. They're the unlikable house. But at the last minute, Dumbledore says, Well, there are some more points that need to be awarded. And so he awards points to Harry, Ron, and Hermione for their acts of bravery that saved the day. And at the end of that, both houses are tied for the house cup. And Dumbledore adds one last thing he says he is awarding. Ten points to Gryffindor for the acts of Neville Longbottom. And he says, It takes a great deal of bravery to stand up to our enemies, but just as much to stand up to our friends. Ten points to Gryffindor and all the banners change and they celebrate. But I just, I love that statement. It takes bravery to stand up to our enemies, but just as much to stand up to our friends there is so much truth in that statement. There are times in our lives when we have to do just that. When people that are our friends or families, when people who are fellow citizens or other Christians veer off the path, there are times when we have to speak. And a couple of weeks ago, the last time I was up here, we heard Jesus say in a synagogue, that a prophet is never welcome in their hometown. And it is for exactly this reason. Because a prophet is called to say what needs to be said, even when it might be unpopular. There are times when we may be called to speak prophetically, to speak for God's covenant. But we have to begin by asking, what is a prophet? You know, Isaiah, we read in the passage today, is just that kind of person. Isaiah is being called by God to speak a word to the people. And these aren't strangers. Isaiah is not being sent on a missionary trip to some surrounding kingdom. He is being sent to his people, his neighbors, people he is familiar with. Isaiah is a prophet of God, but what is a prophet? Well, biblical scholar Walter Brueggemann puts it this way, the prophet is called to be a child of the tradition, one who has taken it seriously in the shaping of his own or her own field of perception and system of language, who is so at home in the memory that the points of contact and incongruity with the situation of the church and culture can be discerned and articulated with proper urgency. That was a mouthful. It's basically what he's saying is this. A prophet is somebody who knows the scripture so well that they know when, when it's not being followed. They are people so in tune with God that they can see when the world, when those who are supposed to be following this way aren't quite doing what they're supposed to do. And indeed, indeed, in the time of Isaiah, something like this is happening. You see, the brief history of Israel is this. God rescues the people from a predicament, in particular from slavery in Egypt. And in doing so, God enters into relationship with the people and says, I will be your God, and you will be my people. But in order to embody and represent that relationship, there are a couple of guidelines, a couple of things to remind you that you are a different kind of people. And so, if you go back and you read the Torah, there are 613 commandments. It's funny that we become pretty cent- centered on the 10 that Moses gets and not the other 603 that there happen to be. But these commandments, they range from what kind of clothes you should wear to what food you can eat, how you should celebrate festivals. And they also place a strong emphasis on how you treat the vulnerable in the communities, whether that be widows or orphans or what the Bible calls strangers and aliens, what we might call immigrants. God wants these people to live a particular way, not like the powerful empires around them, but rather in a very particular way. And so they start out maybe with good intentions. They're going to follow these laws of God, all 613 of them. And if you've ever set off with good intentions, you know that um, over time they drift, they forget, or they think that law must not apply here. And so as they drift, God calls these prophets. These are people who are supposed to go and announce to Israel God's desire that they turn back, that they repent. Or sometimes, if you read Isaiah, they go to Israel and just say, it's a little too late. Let me tell you what's going to happen. And the prophet, again, as Brueggemann says, is the one that knows God's Law, God's wishes so well, that he can look at the world and go, you've drifted. You are not where you're supposed to be. And so today in our reading, Isaiah is called to be that person. Israel is drifting. God calls the prophet to bring the word. And Isaiah brings it. And it is not particularly a happy word. Hear this, this is from chapter one, where God is explaining why he is called Isaiah. How faithful city how the faithful city has become a whore. She that was full of justice, righteousness lodged in her, but now murders. Your silver has become dross, your wine is mixed with water, your princes are rebels and companions of thieves. Everyone loves a bribe and runs after gifts. They do not defend the orphan and the widow's cause does not come before them. Can you imagine walking to the courthouse in Lafayette and standing up and reading something like that? Can you imagine standing in the church and reading something like that? I just did, but Isaiah's message is not one that the people want to hear. It does stem from God's word, it does come from the covenant, it is a promise, it does speak of God's work, but it is not one that these people want to hear. So that brings us to the crux of our message for today, of our passage there's this beautiful image at the beginning of this. God shows up to Isaiah in a, in a show of splendor and glory, one that is hard to imagine. Heavenly beings are surrounding the throne of the Lord. Music rings out, bright lights shine, and Isaiah must be overwhelmed. And beyond that, Isaiah might have a hunch at what the task he's being called to will involve that it will be about saying to the people within his own community something that they will not be excited to hear. And so Isaiah's response is probably exactly how I'd respond. Woe is me, I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips. This is not an easy call. It is not an enviable call, but it is a call. From time to time, God needs people to speak up. For God's righteousness and God's justice. So this passage continues with one of the heavenly beings, a seraph, taking a coal and descending towards Isaiah. And with a pair of tongs, the coal is pressed against the tongue of the would-be prophet. And with that, he is made ready. Not so much because of what he has done, but because of what God has made possible. And so I wonder today if Isaiah's call is not so unlike Neville's and Harry Potter. For Isaiah goes to his own people, perhaps his friends, and announces God's judgment. You shouldn't be doing what you're doing. Isaiah says, make the mind of this, or God says to Isaiah, make the mind of this people dull and stop their ears and shut their eyes, so that they may not look with their eyes and listen with their ears and comprehend with their minds, and turn and be healed. And then I said, how long, O Lord? And he said, until cities lie waste without inhabitant, and houses without people, and the land is utterly desolate. You know, I think it's funny, the lectionary today gave you the option of leaving these last five verses out. (laughs) So it just sounded like Isaiah was being called to come say something nice and quiet and tranquil. So much more fun with those last five verses, though. So much more difficult to get through. And you know what? When Isaiah is done saying this word, I don't think he even gets 10 points to Gryffindor. This is not something to look forward to. And yet God calls the prophet and sends the prophet to speak up for God's covenant, to point the ways in which God's law has been ignored. Isaiah is sent. To say what needs to be said, but what nobody wants to say. And so the question for us as we kind of chew through this text and try to figure out what it is calling us to, is just that there are times when things need to be said. And so how do we learn to say that? How do we learn to say what needs to be said? I don't think we're ever gonna be called to announce the destruction of our people. And if somebody does, I'd be a little bit weary of it. (laughs) But from time to time, God will call people to speak for God's kingdom. And so how do we come to have the ability like Neville or like Isaiah of being willing to say what is hard to hear How do we, like the prophets or like Jesus, learn to speak the truth of the gospel, of the good news for the poor, the release of the captives, liberation for the oppressed, words that Jesus reads in the gospel of Luke while he's reading from the scroll of Isaiah? What does it take to say what needs to be said? Well, I think it takes, in particular, thinking about what how Brueggemann defined a prophet, it takes one who is at home in the tradition, one who knows the scriptures, who understands and is immersed in the good works of God. So if you're not immersed in the scripture, if your relationship with God is a little off, be weary of saying things that are hard to hear. I think it takes, like we learned from Isaiah, one who is humble, who knows that it is not his words, but God's word that matters. It takes a practice of faith, a life of prayer. It takes a stance of awe towards God. And it sometimes takes the boldness of the prophet. But I've got to tell you, if you think about the prophet standing up and saying what is hard to hear and you think that's so exciting, I I think you're missing, missing a great deal of it. Because the story of the prophets is that they do not want to go, for they know what it will cost them. And so for us, if we are to be Christians or a church or followers of the way who seek to speak God's covenant, then... We have to ask ourselves, how is our relationship with God? How is our prayer life? How do we know the scriptures? I'm going to tell you, it's taken a long time for me to, to realize a lot of this stuff. Um, I, I don't know if a lot of you have figured this out yet, but I have a lot of opinions. Um, I'm pretty good at avoiding conflict in the church. But take me out of the church and I have never heard a fight about sports I didn't want to jump into. Just ask me about Robert Ory's time with the San Antonio Spurs sometime and watch my, my blood pressure go up. But it has taken me longer to realize as a pastor, as a Christian, as a follower of God, that the words I have to say mean so much less if they are not grounded in a relationship with God, that the words about faith, about belief, about practice mean so much less if I am not myself grounded in prayer, in study, in scripture, that the words mean less if they are grounded in my ego and not God's word. And So this is the challenge that comes from Isaiah. We will, at different times, be called to speak to the world. And not always in easy ways. So we will be forced to ask how is my relationship with God? How is my prayer life? How am I using scripture? Am I just proof texting a passage because it supports my point? We've all done that before, right? I've done that. I can admit it. Or am I immersed in it, swimming in it, ingesting it? Because I've got to tell you today that I am going to take this challenge as well, because it's it's a challenge. A walk of faith, speaking up for God's word is a challenge. It is challenging. It requires us to give ourselves over. And so in times when something needs to be said, when God needs a spokesperson, let us make sure that we are close enough to God. Let us make sure that that word is grounded in humility, in mercy, and compassion, for that is what God's kingdom is. When people drift, and you see this in the prophets over and over and over again, it is almost always because they have stopped being merciful, they have stopped being compassion, compassionate, They have turned their back on peace. Those are almost always the signs of people drifting from God's kingdom. And so let us challenge one another, keep each other accountable. How is it that we are growing in God's word, in God's scripture, in prayer? For in order to be a church that speaks God's truth, those are the things that we will need. Amen.